Almighty Lord Jesus, we are a selfish people. We are often focused on ourselves. We have been guilty of not always seeking the well-being of others. We pray and think selfishly. Whether it is the lack of your love in our hearts was expressed by silence, or the willful rejection of your call to share love and truth and Jesus with our enemies. Heavenly Father, give us the desire to be swift in obedience to you, never to demand our own way, to question your mercy, your grace, your truth, or your authority. You came to save us when we could not save ourselves. You were the sacrifice for our sins. Lord, let us believe, none of us believe that we are without sin. We all have sin. Yet you are gracious and merciful and faithful to forgive us. We are so thankful for your love and your work, which was complete on the cross. Holy Spirit, move in us so that we might come to the cross to ask for the forgiveness we don't deserve. Almighty Father, thank you for your perfect plan. Thank you also for your, your servant Paul, who wrote the words of this message today for us to understand you more. Give us that understanding. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Today is the last instruction of Ephesians. There's still the benediction to go, and Bill will go over that next week. But we're nearing the end of chapter 6 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Today, Paul is giving us a metaphor to remind us of the protections God gives us against the evil one. It's sort of like our toolbox, our arsenal against Satan. This week's passage is a tie-up of this whole section on Christian living. Paul is trying to give us tools that we can rely on to guide us in our walk with Jesus, to defend us against the accusations of the liar, against Satan. Christians are called to duty and to holiness. This is greatly complicated by the powers of the evil one, which permeate and control the physical universe. These hostile spiritual powers are undone by the power of the cross and the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Colossians 2.15. Colossians 2.15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The devil will finally be completely defeated at the second coming of Jesus. Romans 16.20, Romans 16.20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All of these were the words of Apostle Paul. During this time of spiritual struggle, we are called to rely on God, to look on Jesus, and to rest in the peace of the cross. The forces of darkness will be defeated, but just not yet. Let's listen and learn as this is explained by the Apostle Paul. 
We're in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul used very similar words to reference the power that raised Jesus from death. In Ephesians 1.19, Ephesians 1.19, if you think back, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? It's almost like Paul is repeating himself twice each time just to emphasize what he's trying to tell us. We're not being encouraged to attempt to defeat the powers of darkness within our own strength. We are being called to rely on the strength and the power of the one with immeasurable strength, the ruler of the universe, the Lord and God of all creation. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You notice there, it's by grace. It's not through anything that we deserve. There's nothing that we merit salvation. It is by grace, the grace of God, that we are saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul had this deep understanding of where salvation came from. Verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The new clothes Paul referred to now becomes the armor of God. Here's a reference of Paul's to the new clothes. Ephesians 4, 22 to, to uh, 24. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. To put off the old self. In here, Paul uses the word stand three times. In Greek, that word is stenai. And it's repeated three times in this one section. Verses 11, verses 13, and verse 14. The image it gives us is a soldier standing firm and holding his ground in battle. Previously, Paul had used an image of walking forwards in chapters 4 and 5. 
An example, Ephesians 4.1. Ephesians 4.1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You'll notice here that the battle to which we are fighting is one that we cannot see. It's all around us, and we are surrounded by death, decay, and corruption caused by sin. And the evil one uses all of this against us. The fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's in the spiritual realm. In verse 13, Paul tells us, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is a common theme throughout the Bible, a serial description of certain clothes, or in this case, armor. Look back at Leviticus 8, 5 through 9. Leviticus 8, 5 through 9. In this case, it's Moses. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him and with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him. And in the breastpiece, he put the Urim and the Thummim. And he set the turban on his head. And on the turban in the front, he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. You notice it's very ordered. And there's a very specific order that Moses is going through as he is doing this to Aaron. And he's doing this in front of the entire congregation, the congregation of Israel. They're in the wilderness when this happens. Paul here is not doing this physically in front of the Ephesians. Recall that Paul had been chased out of town, and he's some distance away, and now he's trying to do this instruction of how to live a Christian life to the Ephesians by remote control. We went through this earlier when we talked about this. Think about how difficult this must be for Paul to try and describe all of these things to the Ephesians so that they would get it. And so he uses a metaphor that the entire ancient world in this area would understand, the Roman soldier. In these next few verses, Paul uses the armor and the weapon of the Roman foot soldier. The Bible generally does not portray the Roman soldiers badly. Rather, there are four cases of Roman centurions, and that is an officer's rank. And this officer would be in command of 100 soldiers, hence the name centurion. And all of the four of these cases are in the New Testament, and they are portrayed as honorable and righteous men, righteous in a human sense. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, we have the word stand, stanai. And Paul begins with the belt, which binds the tunic and the pants and holds the sword the belt of, on the belt of truth. And all of this is the undergarments that a Roman foot soldier would wear normally. And then putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the protective outer cover of armor, and it covers the heart and the chest. Righteousness comes from Christ who covers and protects us. Philippians 3.9, Philippians 3.9 and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul sees the believers becoming more like Jesus and taking on more and more of Jesus' righteous character, becoming more in the image of Jesus. Verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put, in, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In this section, by the way, many people look to Isaiah 52, 7. But in that passage, the messengers run barefoot. And it's very different than what the soldiers are doing here. Paul is speaking of the sturdy sandals of the Roman foot soldier, which protect the soldier's feet on uneven or rocky ground, and it gives them the stability to stand. This is a very good metaphor, as it is the gospel of peace that gives us the stability to stand against the evil one. Verse 16. In all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This one was an interesting study in itself, and I went down the rabbit hole, and I had to pull myself back after about an hour and a half of just reading about Roman armor and the shield in particular. The Roman shield had an interior core of wood, and there was a hoop of iron that held these pieces of wood together. And then the whole thing was covered and completely bound up with leather. The leather was sewn in multiple pieces to cover the entire shield. And there were two very large straps on the back for the soldier to be able to hold it in his left hand. By the way, all Roman foot soldiers were right-handed. They had to be because the shields were all made for the left arm. And the sword was always made for the right hand. Before battle, the shield would be soaked in water. They would take all the shields and they would soak them in water. And you're thinking, that just makes them heavy. Why would they want the shields to be heavy? And the reason was the archers in your opponents would shoot flaming arrows at the soldiers. And to prevent the flaming arrows from getting to the soldiers, they would hide behind their wet shields, which would put out the fire. And this is why they would soak the shields. 
Paul is exhorting us to do the same with our faith, to overcome the flaming arrows from Satan. It's a really incredibly good metaphor that Paul has chosen to use in this particular case, or rather that the Spirit told Paul to use. Verse 17 and 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul sees our salvation both in our current state and as our future hope. 1 Thessalonians 5.8. 1 Thessalonians 5.8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet, the hope of salvation. Our belief and our confidence is in our ultimate salvation because of the faithfulness of God based on his promise to us. In Philippians 1.6, Philippians 1.6, Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Note also that Paul says here, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only offensive device in the entire list. Every other thing that is listed is defensive. Only the sword of the Spirit is an offensive weapon. The Word of God is compared to the short sword of the Roman soldier. The Roman short sword was very stiff and strong, and it was designed for close quarters battle, hand-to-hand -hand combat. You will recall how Jesus used the sword when dealing with Satan. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Luke 4, 9 to 12, Luke 4, 9 to 12, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus is using the sword of the word as an offensive weapon against Satan right here. It's a perfect example. Paul is using a perfect example of what he intends here. Isn't it interesting also that Paul says that the helmet the helmet of salvation 
What does the helmet protect? It protects your head, your mind. It protects your mind. Salvation protects your mind. By the way, every time I, I was studying for this and the word metaphor came up, I kept thinking of that scene in Guardians of the Galaxy where Drax is talking about the metaphor. I would catch it. Sorry. Verses 19 and 20. And Paul closes this section out. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul closes with an urgent plea for constant prayer. Prayer for all believers and for the ministry to which Paul was called. In Ephesians 1, 15 to 16, Ephesians 1, 15 to 16, you'll recall Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is a, a classic passage by the way, many, many people have used this passage and you can find many, many references to it. Paul is giving us these tools for our daily battle in life. Paul's instruction to the Christian life can change the way we handle difficulties in the world. And by doing this and thinking more about Paul's instruction for us and not just reacting to what our own wants and desires and immediate I need to strike back at these people because they're doing this to me. This is the devil trying to get under our skin. And we react in a more Christ-like way. We become more Christ-like by thinking about these things that Paul has given us. By doing this, we emulate Christ. Remember that God loves us, and yet we all slip and fall. God knows we are not there yet. Again and again, we need to be on our knees before God, to rely on God. Did you ever hear that old expression? God doesn't give you too much to handle. That's absolutely wrong. It's the other way around. God always gives us too much to handle because then we can't do it and we have to rely on God and we come to God on our knees again and again to ask forgiveness. God's mercy and love for us is beyond our comprehension or understanding but God chose us, each and every one of us. Jesus purchased our redemption. In order for it to be a Christian message, you have to talk about Christ. And you have to talk about the redemption of Jesus. Jesus chose us. 
you are presented in that moment when you choose Jesus with grace that is so amazing that you can do nothing except to accept from Jesus the free gift of his salvation. God sets that situation up on you. God completely puts you in that position where you have to ask for Christ. If you've not believed in Jesus yet, you want that free gift of God. All you have to do is accept Jesus as your Savior. Do not wait. Pray to Jesus and ask him to come into your heart. And we lean on each other in those moments when difficulties arise. Pray to Jesus and ask him to come into your heart. Let's pray. Gracious Father, our God, our Savior, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all the gifts that you have given to us. We ask for wisdom in our decisions as we wrestle with the questions in our lives. Give us wisdom and discernment, Lord. Your truth is what sets us free, and we need to know your truth in our hearts. As we look to your scripture from the Apostle Paul, your truth today sets our hearts free. Free from slavery, slavery to sin, slavery to misunderstanding, slavery to in bondage to false thinking and false teaching to free us from our own idols. Lord, free us to believe your truth, to hold fast to Jesus. Holy Spirit, enable us to trust in Jesus more, who is the saving object of our faith, and to believe the words spoken of and by him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given here and breathed out by God, written down by your servant, the Apostle Paul. Help us, Lord, to be both hearers and believers, to live out this truth and to not believe untruth. We ask all this in the great name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.